You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. This morning we turn and we've come to the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come. I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he will remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Oliver is coming to town. Currently, Credo High staff and students are busy, busy preparing for the upcoming 
play or musical Oliver. And when the curtain rises near the end of next month, we are going to be treated to an interesting and diverse cast of characters. Of course, there will be Oliver Twist, but there will be Bill Sykes, Nancy, the Artful Dodger, and not to be forgotten, Fagin. And now, why do I mention this? And by the way, this is not a case of free and advanced advertising. But rather, it's to draw your attention this morning to another, even more diverse cast or set of characters. A set of characters as found in the book of Revelation. This morning, we've come to Revelation chapter 17. And as you can notice from our reading, it represents another rather challenging chapter full of symbolism, imagery, conflict, and catastrophe. At the same time, it also introduces us to a new character called the Great Prostitute. It's as if the cast of characters here in Revelation keeps on expanding. In addition to a son of man, we have churches, angels, living creatures, a dragon, a beast from the earth, a beast from the sea, a false prophet, and now we have a prostitute. And indeed, we have a prostitute who goes by a number of rather different names, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of the earth are the obscenities of the earth. Here, in other words, is what they used to call, to be more polite about it, a shady lady. Nevertheless, we are not just introduced to her, we are also going to see what happens to her. And it is not pretty. And as a matter of fact, it's all rather gross and repulsive. And so naturally, the question arises, what does all of this mean? What does all of this mean for us today? And what does all of this strange stuff in this 17th chapter of Revelation refer to? And what does it have to do with us? Well, I preached to you this morning on the theme, The Bitter End of a Very Shady Lady. And we're going to, first of all, look at her description, secondly, at her development, and finally, at her demise. Beloved, chapter 16 of Revelation has come and gone, and many of you are no doubt relieved, for it was a chapter filled with judgment. And indeed, it depicted the final judgment from out of the perspective of the seven bowls of God's wrath. And recall especially what happened after the seventh and the last bowl was poured out, all of those flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a severe earthquake, a city split into three parts. And also not to be forgotten are what happened to the islands, the mountains, and the sky. All in all, chapter 16 is filled with a host of traumatic events. But then chapter 17 opens, and we hope that we will get to breathe a sigh of relief. We think judgment is over. 
So now it is on to better and, and brighter news, better things. Only not so fast. For this next chapter does not introduce us to entirely different or more cherry news. In actual fact, it is a continuation, or if you will, an elaboration on some of the events of chapter 16. Look, for example, at verse 1 of chapter 17. John is speaking, he's writing again, and he says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitutes who sits on many waters. Note, the angel speaks about punishment. In other words, the theme of judgment is not yet over. But notice something else as well, for the angel speaks about the great prostitute. The angel says that he will introduce John to her. So what happens? Well, verse 3, the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert, and there I saw a woman. And what kind of a woman is this? A number of things are revealed in our, our chapter. First is the fact that this is one powerful woman. In verse 1, she is depicted as sitting on many waters. And the expression many waters is symbolic, a symbolic reference to many nations, lands, peoples, languages, as you can see in verse 15 as well. And the fact that she is sitting on all of them means that she has power over them. And note too that in verse 2 she's allied with many kings. So you can say this is one very strong steroid filled lady. She packs a lot of punch. She has a lot of power. And secondly, this lady is also very rich. Verse 4 describes her as being dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand. The overall impression is one of a rich, affluent, even decadent woman. She covers herself with more than just a few baubles. She's both a walking fashion show as well as a complete jewelry store. She's rich. She knows it. She flaunts it. Third, in addition to being immoral, or in addition to being powerful and rich, she is also immoral. Back in verse 2, it says that with her, the kings of the earth committed adulteries and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And in verse 4, we are told that she has a golden cup in her hand, and as well we're told about what was in it. It says, it was filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Obviously, this woman has no morals. She's totally consumed with sex, and then with illicit sex at that. Adultery is her middle name, unfaithfulness. 
See what I mean by a very shady lady? And fourth, while this lady is powerful and rich and immoral, she's also vengeful. She hates the saints. Verse 6 tells us this, that this woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. It's sometimes said that when you get on the wrong side of a woman, watch out. Well, that's nothing compared to this particular woman. She loves blood. She loves human blood. She loves Christian blood. It makes her drunk. For her, the best conceivable cocktail is the one that is filled with the blood of those who bring testimony to Jesus Christ. You might say this lady is also a vampire. So all in all, this is some picture here. It's actually a really awful, disgusting, repulsive picture. You don't want to be introduced to this lady. And you don't want to meet her in an alley. Now, of course, I realize that some of the ladies here may be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And you might wonder whether the Apostle John has it in for you. Is John a woman hater? Does he belong to the woman hating club? Well, not really. For while it's true that this woman prostitute is a central figure in these last chapters of Revelation, she's not the only woman mentioned here. There is another. There's another much nicer, finer, nobler, holier woman, much holier than this one. And you find her mentioned in chapter 21, and she's called the bride. The bride of Christ. So ladies, do not be offended. But having said all of this, the question still arises, who is this woman of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation? Who is this great prostitute? And the answer is given in verse 5. It says, the title was written on her forehead, Mystery. Or some would translate the mysterious title was written on her head. And then they say her name was Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of the earth. That's what's written on her, on her forehead. So who is this woman? Who is this prostitute? She's a city. It's Babylon. Now, you might be scratching your head and wondering, what does that mean? Does it mean that the ancient city of Babylon can be compared or likened to a great prostitute? And the answer is yes, and the answer is no. It's yes, for Babylon as a city and empire was famous for its power, its wealth, its immorality, as well as its vengeance. But the answer is also no, for Babylon, the city or empire, is really here a spiritual symbol 
A spiritual symbol of many cities and many human empires. You can be sure that the saints who read this letter in John's day, read Babylon, but they didn't limit it to Babylon. No, they read Babylon and immediately what popped into their minds was Rome. After all, Rome was known for these same abject qualities as Babylon once was. Rome, too, was powerful and rich, immoral, vengeful. So as far as these people who received this letter at the first were concerned, the prostitute called Babylon is really Rome. And notice, too, seven hills are mentioned in verse 9. And what other city that you know of is built, so to speak, on seven hills? So Babylon is Rome. Or is it? If you listen to Martin Luther, then Babylon is the Roman Catholic Church. If you listen to countless other people throughout history, then Babylon is the French under Napoleon. Or the Russians under Stalin. Or the Chinese under Mao. Or the Germans under Hitler. You see, the lists and the attempts to identify Babylon go on and on. So what or who is Babylon the great prostitute? Beloved, Babylon or the great prostitute is not just one particular empire or ruler. Babylon represents a spirit or movement or development. Babylon is the great earthly enemy of God and of Christ. And of the church in any and every age. And therefore also today, there's Babylon. As a matter of fact, you could say we live today in Babylon. Look around you. Examine carefully the culture in which you live and breathe. What are the hallmarks of our culture today? I would say one of the hallmarks of our culture, just like Babylon of long ago, is moral corruption. You turn on your television. Doesn't matter what time of day, doesn't matter what channel, what station, what program. What do you hear? What are you exposed to? Loose talk. All kinds of immoral stuff, scantily dressed women, affairs, adulteries. It's all calm and fair. Considered perfectly normal. There was a time when we would blush. We don't blush any longer. Because we have been exposed to far much. Moral corruption. Human sexuality oozes and pervades everything. 
And another hallmark of Babylon, which we still have with us today, is rank godlessness. Have you noticed that in our culture and in our day, there is this ongoing attempt to drive Christianity out of every aspect of our daily life? Christianity has no place in our schools, it has no place in our legislatures, it has no place in our courts, it has no place in our businesses. Drive it out. Keep it private. Make it personal. Because that means irrelevant. In verse 14, mention is made of war against the Lamb. Well, that's what we have today. This militant form of humanism or godlessness is on the march. And the third Babylonian hallmark also raises its ugly head, and that is all-consuming materialism. Life today is all about the pursuit of things. Money, property, houses, cars. The man with the most toys wins. The woman with the most jewels wins. So what we have today is this ugly form of materialism that sucks everything into its vortex. It wasn't long ago that we spoke about Marxist communism as the great evil with its fixation on materialism. Well, today, that's changed. It may well be called Western capitalism. And beloved, this is the kind of world we're living in. Yes, and it it behooves us to, to realize this. And it also behooves us to warn ourselves and our children against these hallmarks of Babylon, the great prostitute. We need to arm ourselves to do battle against all that smacks of moral corruption and abject godlessness and all consuming materialism. Do not allow these things to become the hallmark of your lives. Do not make your life into what might be called an ally, compatriot, a reflection of the great prostitute. But then, beloved, if there is a really dangerous woman here. There's also something else. There's another reason to be on your toes and to resist Babylon, and it has to do with someone else who's present here. Did you notice someone else throughout this chapter, maybe a bit obscure, a bit hidden? You realize this woman is is not alone. And that there is an other ominous presence lurking in the wings here. And if you ask which one, well, read, for example, verse 3 carefully. It says, there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet 
beast. Verse 7. I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides. Verse 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss. Verse 12. Who will receive authority as kings along with the beast? And verse 16 and 17, the beast and the ten horns you saw will give the beast their power to rule. You see, beloved, repeatedly, if we look carefully, we're reminded here of the beast. And so we need to take note, not simply of a glitzy, sleazy lady here, We should also take note of the beast. And why should we take note of the beast? Well, because really and truly the beast is the power behind Babylon. The power behind the great prostitute. Behind all of these obscenities and abominations. I realize this beast is very formidable. He's no pushover. In verse 8, he is described as the beast who once was, now is not, and will come out of the abyss. The same description is repeated a number of times in the center part of this chapter. So what is this? Well, most likely it is a parody or a weak imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. After all, he came into the world and once was. He died and was buried and is not. And he is returning and so will come. So you have this this rhythm of once was, is not, and is coming. By the way, in, in John's day, there was this vicious rumor making the circle that Nero, that absolutely disgusting emperor, Nero, although he was dead, wasn't really dead. And he was coming back, or of horrors. But yet in actual fact, of course, the beast isn't Nero. The beast is Satan himself. It's the devil. He who once was very active, but who was defeated by Christ on the cross, and so is not, is coming back. Verse 8 says he will come up out of the abyss. He will have a little season, so to speak. A little season of great terror and much suffering. And when will that be? Well, beloved, all sorts of attempts have been made and continue to be made to identify this time or this short season of the beast. You'll notice that in verse 9 it speaks of the seven heads or seven hills on which the woman sits. And in the next verse mention is made of seven kings, five have fallen. It says one is, the other has not yet come. And also in verse 12, we read about the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Now, it needs to be said, and we don't have time to go into that, but all kinds of commentators have 
have tried to fill in the blanks here and to identify exactly who are these kings, who are these kingdoms, who are these empires. And you can read it in oodles and oodles of commentaries and books on Revelation. It's got to be this guy. It's got to be that empire. It's got to be this person or perhaps that movement. The only problem is that when you take all of those so-called projections, every one of them has holes in it. No one is able and has been able up until now to give the final word on any of this. And you know, that tells me that probably no one ever will in this life. Again, I would remind you that the language here is symbolic. It defies quick and easy identification. And rather than get lost in endless speculation and all kinds of intramural debates and presumed identifications, you're much better off to keep in in mind the total picture here. And surely the total picture is this, that between the time of Christ's coming or going and coming back, the saints will be sorrowly tried and tempted. And the great prostitute will repeatedly try to ensnare and to captivate the saints. And always lurking behind the great prostitute, there is the devil himself. And together, they launch one attack after another on the saints. Together, they'll use one kingdom and one empire after another to dislodge the followers of Jesus Christ. In this time between the advents, the church will find itself under attack in every day in every age. There will be no holidays from temptation. There will be no holidays from persecution. There will be no holidays from those who attempt to lead you and I astray and away from Christ. And so, beloved, Stay awake. Do not be deceived. Do not let down your guard. Do not give an inch. Stand firm. For an end is coming. The attacks will not go on forever. And indeed, the demise of the prostitute and the beast are both utterly sure and certain. John reminds the saints then, and he reminds us as saints today, of this in various ways. Look at verse 8. The beast, which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. And in case you missed it, it's repeated in verse 11. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. 
So in the end, what will happen to this masquerading beast? Destruction. You'll be destroyed. Pulverized. And what will happen to the seventh king in verse 10? It says he must remain for a little while. In verse 12, it speaks of one hour or who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. You see, not only will the beast self-destruct, but also his allies will not hold sway for long. One hour is all you get. One measly hour, one desperate hour. And that's all. The time of great evil will be short. And as for the great prostitute, notice her fate is also described. Only it's it's a bit of a surprise, perhaps. We read about it in verse 16 where it says, The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate, hate, believe it or not, the prostitute. They'll bring her to ruin, leave her naked, they'll eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now, what's that? Well, think about it. That's evil devouring evil. This unholy alliance of prostitute beast and kings doesn't last. Unholy alliances never do. Sooner or later, they eat each other up. They turn on one another and they devour one another. Think, for example, of Hitler. Hitler and Stalin. At one time, they were the best of buddies. But it didn't take much. And they became the worst of enemies. And the one seeks to consume and destroy the other. The beast raises up the prostitute and uses her for a time and for a purpose. And then he hates her and he ruins her. Evil always in the end devours evil. And yet we cannot end on that happy note. For there is one last thing that you and I need to see clearly in this 17th chapter, and it has to do with who is the real mover and shaker here? You know, the great prostitute may be alluring and powerful in her magnetism. The kings may wield great political might for a time. The beast may be the dominating power behind everything, it appears. But the real, supreme, lasting power resides with God. And the saints know this. It says in verse 8 that the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished. When they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. So who are the astonished? Who are the surprised? Who are the caught off guard here? 
Notice, it are those whose names have not been written in the book of life. In other words, the reprobate will be surprised. But not the saints. Not those whose names have been written down. Not those whose names are in the book of life. Not those who have belonged to God from the creation of the world. None of this will surprise them. And why not? Because for one, it says they know that God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beasts their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. Look at verse 17. The saints know about the plan and the purpose of God. They know about the beast. They know about the brief moment of glory that he's going to have. But they know his end is sure. The saints are not ignorant. And for another, they know that the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. You see, the saints also know about the Lamb and just how great and glorious He is as Lord of lords and King of kings. And one final thing they know. What the Lamb has done for them and how He has called them, chosen them, and keeps them faithful. Well, beloved, you are among the saints of God, are you not? You also belong through faith to those who are called, chosen, and faithful to the Lamb. So rejoice. And do not fear. Just keep on believing, trusting, loving, serving, honoring the Lamb. He will overcome. And He will help you and I and all of us to overcome as well. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.